Go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. It's amazing that it's December already, right? Just seems like yesterday that I said, hey, open to Romans 12 and it was December. And we said back in December, hey, this year God's put on my heart and so let's look at this this command really to be transformed. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do you how do you move beyond mentally assenting and thumbs upping that I want to be transformed? How do you go and do that? And literally, uh, we have done that. We've looked at it in all shapes and sizes and different angles, trying to understand what does it mean to be transformed? Because my guess is that most, if not all of us here, want to be transformed. Amen? Right? And uh, you remember the word picture we put up way back at the beginning of the year, the caterpillar, right? And going from the caterpillar to the butterfly and all the different stages that that, that caterpillar goes through, right? And all the changes. And we're like, yay, caterpillar, yay, caterpillar, yay, caterpillar, right? And we all celebrate the caterpillar's metamorphosis, right, into a beautiful butterfly. And then I say, how many of you want to be like that? How many of you want to be more like Jesus? And everyone does what? And then I'm like, yes, so we're going to celebrate change. Let's, let's leave here just celebrating. Yeah, cause, cause right, oh man, that's awesome. That's a supernatural act of God. He created the, the, caterpillar to do that and then we realize when the caterpillar's in the cocoon what happens to the caterpillar eats itself the way god created it it eats itself it feeds on itself and the genetic code somehow or another it's a miracle the caterpillar gets eaten and comes out as a butterfly who's ready to get eaten right not a lot of signups on that sign-up sheet there's a sign-up sheet in the fellowship hall if you would like to die to self and experience dramatic change in your life, sign up. Right? And, and, and why is it, right? I mean, we want this transformation. We, we're like, yeah, 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 gosh, I, I see that so much good would happen in my life. I see where I could be set free. I see where I could be healed. I see where relationships might get reconciled. I see where I might handle my time better, my money better. I see basically transformation is a good thing. Amen? If it's such a good thing, here's the sign-up sheet. It's tough. It's challenging. Right? Rubber meets the road. As soon as we say, ready, break, and the Sunday service huddle breaks, then we go, ready, break, and we're all to go out those doors and run the play. Meaning, do what God put on your heart to do, your assignment for the day, the week. Then it gets real, right? If you watch football, when they hike the ball, it gets real. The speed of the pro game, they say it's like when you see people get tackled in collisions, it is a small car accident. You don't really pick it up on TV. The guys are so big and they're moving so fast that literally concussions and damage to the body and all that happens because they are moving at such a quick rate and the collision happens so violently that not a lot of people want to sign up for that. They're going to stand in the, they're going to go in the stands and cheer. Woo! 
right? And sometimes if we're not careful as Christians, we want to just cheer. Until you realize Romans 12, 1 and 2, let's read that together. It says, therefore, ready, begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So according to those verses, who is to be transformed? We. Me. Thank you. If you're a believer... Transformation applies to you, which means you're on the field. You're actually in the game. Now, we encourage and we cheer and we love and support and pray for one another. But the truth is, we're all in the game. We're all in it, which means we all have to make decisions, which means we all have to be spiritually ready, spiritually in tune, spiritually listening, spiritually walking in the spirit. Right. And we've been looking this whole year at this transformation. And as we close out the year, it's really interesting, because if you look at Romans 12, one. The first word is what? Therefore. Right. And 12 months ago, I said, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should ask yourself what it's there for. Right. Therefore, in Romans 12, one refers to Romans one through 11, which is the gospel. Paul Paul presents the glorious truth of the gospel, the glorious truth of no condemnation, the glorious truth of justification, the glorious truth of peace with God, the glorious truth that all things work for the good, the glorious truth that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. He goes he goes through all of that, and then he says, "Therefore, woohoo! Therefore, present yourself as a living, be transformed in light of." The, Good news of the gospel in light of everything we've talked about, about who you are in Christ. Every day, wake up and say, Lord, I submit myself. I submit myself to you, right? So it's really not even an I thing. It's a therefore thing. See, what difference would it make in your life in the morning if you rehearsed all the glorious truths about the gospel? Amen? If you rehearsed that you are justified. If you rehearsed that nothing will separate you today from got Christ's love. If you will rehearse that there is no, you're not, there's no condemnation. See, sometimes we, 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 we read that, well, I've got I to gotta present myself as a living sacrifice because I'm so weak and I need Jesus. And it's all about who? Me. See, that therefore in Romans 12, 1 is not about me or you. It's about God and what he did. Amen. So he's saying, hey, take your eyes off of you. And therefore, in light of God's glorious Work, initiative, gospel, in response to who God is, in response to what he's already done. This is what you do. This is what you do. It's kind of like what we talked about uh, last week with grace and gratitude. We overthink gratitude, right? I mean, how many of you, honestly, when someone does something unexpected, maybe over the top, maybe just kind of blows your socks off, how many of you just automatically, thank you, anyone? Thank you. Did you have to think about it? Well, hmm, what's it in the Greek? 
And should is this a moment? Should I be grateful for this? See, gratitude is just simply a response. It's a response, right? I mean, right? Teresa, you brought the cupcakes, right? Thank you. I didn't have to think about that. Sometimes we get in our head too much. We just think. It's like, here's God's grace. Last week, here's God's grace. Thank you. Amen? Romans 12.1. Here's all that God did. Take me. It's a response. Our life of the living sacrifice, our life being a life of worship, is a response to God. It's not about us. We get too much consumed in our head and we think too much about us sometimes, guys. We just think too much about us sometimes. Then we get tied up in knots. When God's like, hey, therefore... Well, what's that there for? Well, uh, you're on your way to hell. Now you're going to heaven. You're my child. You're a new creation. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Oh, therefore! (laughs) You, You see? You see how it radically shifts? See, sometimes our focus, our focus is what's off. It's not our, it's not our intention. It's not our desire. It's not our, what we want. It's our focus. And that's why I love Christmas. Because the simplicity of Christmas brings us back. I think this month for us, as we wrap up transformation, maybe, is focus. (laughs) Yeah, don't listen to January's tapes, because you might hear it in January. (laughs) Just kidding. Because it never gets old. I told you before, why are we in transformation for a year? Because we're in transformation for our life. It's not something we just tuck away. Well, that was a good series. Let's box it and sell it. You know, no. No, let's live it. How about that? Let's just live it. So sometimes transformation, our our obstacle, our stuckness. Remember earlier in the year I called it being in neutral? Right? We looked at at transformation as, you know, kind of a car. And sometimes in a car, you don't, you you rev the engine. It's like, and you're like, what's wrong? There's a lot of noise. The engine's doing a lot, but I'm not going anywhere. Right? It's like, hey, dude, you're in neutral. Ah. Well, sometimes as as Christians, we're in neutral. Worship team. Giving. Cupcakes. Women's event. Barnabas. And we get up and we're doing a whole lot of stuff and we hear a whole lot of action under the hood. Well, we're not going anywhere. And we're exhausted. And it's another sign-up sheet in the fellowship. We get to the end of 2016 and we're just tired because it felt like there was a whole lot happening. How have you been transformed this, this year? I encourage you sometimes this month, celebrate that. Did you kick out a neutral? Because I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm in drive and things are going well. Then somehow it just goes into neutral. And then somehow it's weird. It goes into park. And then the crazy thing is sometimes it goes into reverse. Right? Right? Sometimes we're just all over the map. But as a whole, as a whole, because I'll tell you right now, I see you. I always tell people my view of Sundays is very different because I know many of you. And this year, I'll tell you right now, 
I affirm and I celebrate so many of you in transformation this year. This year. Sometimes we're our own worst critic. Because I say that and you're like, well, you don't really know. This year. But anyway, um, I celebrate you. Many of you have been transformed. Literally. You may not see it, but I do. So I just want to get that up. I praise God for you and I celebrate our journey together this year. And we're going to keep going. But sometimes we're like, hey, hey, why am I Lord? I'm stuck. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. Maybe it's our focus. Maybe we, the, the, the gear shifter shifted and we're like, oh, what am I? okay. What do you mean by that, right? And, and as we look at Christmas, and specifically I love that, the Advent and, and this word hope. Sometimes even our, our focus and definition of hope is kind of off. See, when, I hear, when you say the word hope, my guess is most of us think of uncertainty, wishful thinking. Right? Anyone? I hope. I hope I win the lottery. I hope I pass that test. Right? So when we say the word hope, it's kind of uncertainty. It's, it's wishful thinking. It's this nervousness. It creates anxiety. And, and you know what? That is, the, that is the other end. That's the opposite of what biblical hope is. You know what biblical hope is? When you talk about hope on an Advent, confidence, assurance. Hmm. See, maybe this morning you're kind of stuck in neutral. Your, your, your challenge in transformation is that you lack confidence. Hope. When I say, hey, you can be transformed. Hey, God has a plan for you. Hey, God wants the best for you. God is a good God and He wants to work in you. Some of you are like, yeah. Others are like, no, I hope. I hope. I just hope He's not mad at me today. I just hope He doesn't kick me out of the family. I just hope He can tolerate me. See, your, your definition of hope is not biblical. Your focus is on you. Biblical hope, when it talks about having a hope, it is confident expectation. Everyone say confident expectation. Everyone say assurance. So when you have hope, you should have confidence. But many of us are not moving in transformation because you lack confidence. It's a confidence issue. It's not a I need the I need more knowledge issue. It's not a that you disagree issue. It's a confidence issue. It's a confidence issue. See, last week I used this illustration of where we saw when when you come to know Christ, you put on Christ, his righteousness. So positionally, right now, positionally, if you are a believer, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So positionally, how does God see you at this very second? Clean slate, how does God feel about you at this very second, positionally? Okay. <laughs> With confidence, how does God view you positionally in Christ at this second? How does he view you? Righteous. How does he feel about you? 
He loves you. What else? He's pleased. Happy. At this very second, positionally, positionally, God likes you. He's happy with you, positionally, because you're in Christ. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Positionally. That's who you are in Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. Positionally, we saw in Galatians 3, we have put on Christ. How confident are you in that? How confident are you in that truth of who you are positionally? Now we saw in Romans 13, he says, now, hey, put on Christ. And we're like, what? I thought we already did. We did. At the moment of salvation, you were put into Christ. But then he says in Romans, put on Christ, which is a daily choice. To walk. Someone say walk. According to who you are positionally. And I shared this with you last week. Some of us, these are three, three little examples that I brought from my own life of things I might choose to put on, right? You know, my old letterman jacket, right? Sometimes I choose to put on who I was and my achievements and all the things growing up that gave me great esteem and accolades. Sometimes we still... We want to put on the image of success and achievement, status, right? Sometimes we put that jacket on. Other times, you know, it might be the jacket of just, you know, hey, everything's good. I look good. It's all about image and style and being up with the latest trends. And How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Fine. Right? And everything's good and fine. And, and we choose to put on this, this sort of external. We live in man-pleasing and, and image-keeping. Right? That's a, that's a choice. You know? Or sometimes some of us. Right? And again, I'm sensitive to this and mostly speaking out of my own testimony. Sometimes some of us put on this. And we wear this. And it's not that Trials and tribulations and heartache and pain don't come, but sometimes we wear it as our identity. Sometimes this is, we live in the past of, and we rehearse over and over all the bad stuff that happened to us. And that's, we take that as an identity. Right? And we could go on and on. Sometimes we put on a, a jacket of pride. Sometimes it's control. Sometimes it's a jacket of fear. Insecurity. You name it. I mean, I, I could probably go around here and survey and we'd get all kinds. We, we'd fill a closet with all the different jackets that we can put on. And yet in Romans 13, he says, and I used this last week. This is a jacket that my mom gave me that belonged to my dad, right, in Thanksgiving. And, and when I put this on, it's not just for nostalgia's sake, but it's practical. It's practical. Again, I wore it to church this morning. It's practical. And sometimes we look at biblical truth like grace and, and who we are in Christ is nostalgia. Well, that was good, yeah. But it says, is it really practical? Is, is, is the command to put on Christ practical? Yeah, 
if you want to continue in your transformation, you've got to understand God has given us some very practical truths to put on. To put on. And so sometimes when we're, when we're out there in the world, we might have started with this jacket. Actually, let's put it. You might wake up in the morning and say, okay, he said, put on Christ. I'm putting on Christ. And in fact, I am zipping up Christ. Christ is not leaving me today. Right? So you zip them up and you lock and load and you, you head out the day. It might not be that you took them off. It just might be that throughout the course of the day, you just happen to be putting other things on. Depending on how work went, depending on how your relationship, you might just throughout the day, depending on circumstance, figure out what jacket I need. Right? And by the end of the day, you're wondering, what happened? Because I had my quiet time, and I zipped up Jesus tight, and he was going to go with me everywhere I was going. That's what we do with clothes, right? We intend for them to follow us throughout the day, to be with us, to serve a purpose, right? So I did Jesus. I put him on. But by golly, I'm, I'm exhausted, folks. I'm transformed. Come join me. Let's do this transformation thing. What you wearing? I got one of those too, Scott, right here. You got one of these too? I got one of these for Christmas too. Is that what we're supposed to do? No. The key, the key. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Wardrobe malfunction. The key, couple keys. A, it's a choice. Amen? Look, many of you love Christ. I know that. I know that. And you wonder, what's going on? And here's my encouragement to you. During the day, if you catch yourself having put on another jacket, don't condemn yourself. You're like, well, I feel really bad about that. There's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. We have the Holy Spirit in us designed to raise a flag, conviction, if you will. Hey, something spiritually is amiss, is awry, you're drifting. You put on a jacket. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. It's the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. Use with grandkids, right? Little grandkids about to stick his hand in the socket. Is it a good thing that you tell him you shouldn't do that? Is it a good thing you tell him and warn him that, that he's heading towards pain? Okay. That is radically different than condemnation goes back to your identity. Because Romans 8.1, turn to Romans 8.1. Powerful verse for some people here. You got, if you're going to get out of neutral, you've got you to believe Romans 8.1. Let's read Romans 8.1 together. Therefore, hmm, 
Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. You might feel convicted. You might need to repent. You might need to confess. But that is radically different than condemnation. That is radically different than punishment. See, a lot of us, we're, we're afraid to move forward because we're, we're not sure we're not going to, we're not, we're not living in, we're, oh, is he going to condemn me again? And then we put on the jacket of condemnation, spiritual condemnation. It's a process. Anybody here learn to ride a bike perfectly the first time? Anybody here fall? Anybody here wobble? Anybody here still not get it? Okay, thank you, Billy, for that honesty, right? It's a process. Don't fear the process. Don't fear the process. We're sometimes so afraid of taking a step forward that we just are frozen. And we're going to stay right where we are because that's what we know. That's not the caterpillar moving to the butterfly. That's the caterpillar stuck in park with the emergency brake on and the engine off. Why? Because we get scared. And what are we kind of scared about? One thing, condemnation. What if I mess up? What if I mess up? Okay, we learn. We learn through our mistakes. The church has become paralyzed in many ways by fear and insecurity. There is therefore now what? No condemnation. For some of you, that's a... That's freedom, guys. Positionally, that is so freeing. For you to be who God has created you to be. Amen? And you go out there and you, 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 you wobble and you fall over. You try to skateboard Tyler and you fall. And you know, it's like, it's okay. Remember, Jesus said something like, unless you become like a child. Not childish, childlike. Guys, we got to have, if transformation, you got to have childlike faith. You gotta go back to that childlike faith, that childlike exuberance, that childlike risk. And what is the basis of this freedom? Who you are in Christ. No condemnation. No condemnation. But see, I understand the fear of that. Because I grew, I grew up in a very performance oriented world. And after a while, if you're smart in that world, here's what you do. You decide and you, you decipher this. I get accolades and I get praise and encouragement when I do good. I get criticism and hurtful comments and, and I'm ignored when I do bad, when I mess up, when I fail, when I make a mistake. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to come to the conclusion that I am only going to do what I'm good at. And there's no way I'm going to take any risks of failure because of all the negative response and emotion that comes with failure. 
So even as a believer, I'm just going to stick with what I'm good at. I like that transformation thing, but I am scared to death that Jesus is going to ask me something to do that I'm not good at. That I've never done before. That requires change. Well, what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if I make a fool of myself? What are they going to think of me at that church? It all comes back. It all comes back to fear and insecurity. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's freedom. That's release. That's freedom. Another area is of confidence is, remember in Second Corinthians 12 when Paul was dealing with that thorn? Right? And he prayed three times for the Lord to take it away, and Jesus says, nope. Right? And, and he says, when you are weak, then I'm strong. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, right? One of the reasons I think that we live in fear of the unknown, fear of, of what jacket, put going back to the old jacket, it's a fear and insecurity because we're not confident that God is going to give us what we need when we need it. Oh, yeah, that's great, Paul. Yeah, Paul, just trust Jesus. He said his grace is sufficient. Come on, Paul, what's the problem? Are we confident? Are you confident? Am I confident that when he brings me to the place of choosing the old self and the old ways or the new self and the new ways, walking in newness of life, as he calls it, when we get to that fork in the road, are you confident that he's going to provide everything you need in that second that you need it. And the answer to that may help you understand why you've been stuck. It's not a knowledge issue. It's a confidence issue. Are you as confident in the Lord providing your needs to step out into faith and newness of life? Are you as confident in God's provision as you are in the pew that you're sitting in? Because right now, all of you are 100% sold out to that pew. I have not seen any anxiety, any fear. I have not seen any doubt of anyone worried about that pew collapsing. You just plopped yourself right down. And right now, you are resting because you are confident in that pew. Are you that confident in God's grace when he calls you to make a change? That he's going to provide for your needs. Are you that confident? Because you really have to answer that question. Look, look at the, the bulletin. Look at the title. God is what? God is for. I don't know. I don't know. Everybody here has got to answer that. That's a very personal question. Now, many of you can recite the Bible verse. But let me ask you a question. Is that punctuation mark in the right place? Is it a question about God being for us? Is that in doubt? That's personal. And the answer to that question will probably help you understand why you do and don't do certain things. 
Is it a question or a statement? You've got to answer that question. Now, I can tell you, and we're going to look at what the Bible says, and hopefully you'll, your, your worldview will align with the Scripture, because ultimately we submit to God's authority. But I pose it that way because it's a real rubber-meets-the-road question. Is that a question or a statement? Okay, we're going to do a little survey. It's a question. It's a statement. All right, let's look at Romans 8. Romans 8. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share with you why, why we often confuse it. Why we often confuse it, because Romans 8, 31 can be confusing. And if you get confused and you make it a question rather than a statement, you're probably going to be walking through the rest of the day questioning God's provision. Rather than being confident. Look at Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to this? What he has said, some look at it in context of just what he has said in Romans 8, 28 through 30. Hey, all things work for the good. We're, you know, God's plan of sanctification. Some look at that as God's truths from Romans 8 to Romans 1 back, right? What, it's the same thing as therefore in Romans 12. What shall we say to this? What God has planned, his incredible nature, his truth, right? What shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Question or a statement? Okay, I'll give you another option. Both. Okay. It's both. Essentially. The simplest. It's both. Let me help you out. That word if, in the Greek, it is a means a fulfilled condition. That's what that means. A fulfilled condition. That word if really, really kind of throws us off in terms of the English language. It's a fulfilled condition, not merely a possibility. It's like this. Let's assume um, I'm at home and I mentioned to, to my daughter, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to Vaughn's, pick up some stuff. 30 minutes later, Vinny says, hey, if you're going to Vaughn's. He knew I was going. The word if really means since. So in your Bibles, I highly encourage you to write the word since or because. And it will radically change your confidence level. Romans 8.31 really should say, what then shall we say in response to this? Since God is for us, who can be against us? Now, what it means that who can be against us, it is not like, oh, there's no trial and tribulation, because we know there's trials and tribulations. We know there's a devil. We know there's a flesh. We know it's not, it's not opposition daily. What he's saying is, hey, since God is for us, what difference does it make who opposes us? They can't touch us ultimately. What is the, okay, what is the worst case scenario in humanly speaking? They kill us. Spiritually speaking, what is the result of being killed on this earth? Heaven! Okay, so Romans 8.31, since God is for us, what difference does it make? Who else can be against us? I remember when I was in elementary school, and we would be at recess, and you had to pick teams for the sport, and there was like one dude 
that you hoped would be picked on your team. Because if he was on your team, you knew you won. He was like the biggest sixth grader, right? The biggest sixth grader who developed ahead of everyone. It's like, dude, we got to get him. Please pick him. Please pick him. If, we, if he's on our team. And we, you know, then we'd shake out and you'd be like, you know, they flip the coin to see who picks first. We win. First pick. I pick him. Woo! Game over. Doesn't matter who you get. We have him. Game over, dude. And we would go into the game so confident because we had an expectation of victory. Solely because Billy Big Bob was on our team. The radical game changer was who was on our side. Romans 8.31, since God is for you, what difference does it make, Brenda, what they say or think? It doesn't make a difference what they say or think about you, does it? Game's over, yes! Game's over! That's theologically correct right there. Thank you. Game over. Game over. God's on our team. Since God is for you. See, if you flip your notes over, I, I, I did a little application and I took out the question mark. And if you feel so inclined, that blank on the back is for your name. Game over. Freedom. No condemnation. What difference does it make? I'm free. I got God on my team. And he likes me. And he's happy with me. And he's pleased with me. He loves me. And then check this out. If there's any inkling of doubt, he still goes further to, to seal the deal. I love this because he's like, uh, really? Really? How do I know? Prove it, God. How do I know you're on my side? How do you know? How do I know you're really going to give me everything I need? How do, how do I know? Just keep reading. Look, here's how you know. Look at this. This is, this is fantastic. This is like a Christmas gift. I'm like, Lord, you've given us a Christmas gift. Look at this. <sighs> what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against Here we go, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, everyone say also, along with him, everyone say graciously, give us all things. The confidence is that God is on our side. Game over. How do I know He's going to meet all my needs? How do I know He's going to provide everything I need? Romans 8.32 says, Hey, time out. Let's just think about this here. God did not spare His own Son. How will He not graciously give you and me everything we need? It's called an argument of the greater to the lesser. I was talking about this with Wes in the office, and he used the word instead of greater, ultimate. God has given you and me the ultimate. Who? Jesus, Christmas. 32 says, how will he not also graciously give us 
everything else we need in life. Come on. Confidence. Confidence. That's a confidence. That's a... This is my son. My one and only son. If at some point I did not spare him and delivered him up for you all, which to me is mind-boggling, having a son. If I gave you the ultimate, why would I not give you anything else having given you my one and only son? That's what he's saying in Romans 8.32. That's how much you're loved. That is the present tense reality of his grace. It's present tense reality. And I know, guys, when we hit the road out there, we want Jesus so bad. And we want to honor you. And we want to glorify you. And we want to be transformed. But by golly, all that pile keeps calling my name. And it's not that I'm evil. It's not that I'm, I'm, I'm living a sinful life. It's just that I'm scared. I'm just flat out scared. That if I step out of the box, if I do something different, if I experience change, I might fail and feel condemned. I might lose. Maybe God's not going to come through for me. And we get just paralyzed by fear and anxiety. And then you know what? We leave church guilty and shamed and condemned because How come everyone else seems to get it? How come everyone else seems to be being transformed? How come I'm still bound up, Lord? What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. It's what I like to say to my oldest daughter when she's going through trials. Welcome to the human race. But we want it so right. And we want to get it right the first time. And we're just afraid of looking silly and being embarrassed and saying the wrong thing. And if I put my hands up, what are they going to think about me? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Since God is for you, game over. He who did not spare His one and only Son, but delivered Him up for you and me. How will He not, how will He not graciously give us everything we need when we need it? We gotta rest in that. We gotta rest in this. Because once it starts to sink in from here to here, oh, it's game over. And you get a confidence and a boldness, and a freedom to be who you are in Christ. And you just, and people go, what got into you? Jesus. What's, what you, Jesus. I just made a choice to place my confidence in Him and what He says about me and then to act on it. That's all it is. Lord, thank You. Thank you, God, that you are for us. It's not in question. 
It's not a question. It's not in doubt. And how do we know this? Because you gave Jesus. I know you are for me because you sent Jesus. Period. And then, Lord, I know you are for me when I leave here because you gave Jesus. You gave the ultimate. And you continually desire what's best for us. You continually desire our good, our transformation. And Lord, my prayer for us this morning is that we will rest in the freedom that is ours in Christ. We are no longer under condemnation. And we can be ultimately confident that you are for us. You're not an adversary. You're not trying to make our life miserable. You are for us. For me. And so this morning as we take communion, Lord, we will hold two cups. One with bread, one with juice. And Lord, we'll be reminded of Your Word. Since God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter. What difference does it make? Game over. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So Jesus, we hold these cups in remembrance of you. And we remember who we are in Christ this day. And Lord, my prayer is that our confidence in You and Your truth will radically transform us. Radically transform us as we continue our own journey of transformation. Amen. Just a uh, word of encouragement before we sing a final song. You know, I've, I've used the word picture before. When service ends, kind of like a huddle. Ready, break. And then we go off into our responsibilities and busyness of the day and the week. Here's my encouragement. We will all be presented with several opportunities, perhaps even before you put your head on your pillow today, to walk in newness of life. To speak differently, to think differently, to respond differently. To walk in newness of life. And at those moments, I'm going to be very honest with you, it can get really scary. Because it's change, because it's new, you're out of your comfort zone, and all the old jackets and all the old stuff, all the voices are going to come. It's at that moment, my prayer is you'll come back to the Word of God. Romans 8, 31 and 32. And it's at that moment, you're going to have to probably say something like this. Lord, I am terrified right now. I am scared to death. But you say in your word, you are for me. And they say, and you said, you didn't give, you You said in verse 32 that you gave Jesus and you're still going to graciously give me everything I need. Lord, I need a whole lot right now. <laughs> And Lord, if I'm going to take this step of faith, if I'm going to get out of neutral and take one step this afternoon in newness of life, Lord, I need you. And you said you were going to give me everything I needed in Romans 8.32. 
That is a legitimate prayer. We all learn to trust and to receive God's grace when we trust and receive God's grace. It's not just theory. It's not just hypotheticals. We have that opportunity over and over if we make that choice. But if you're going to experience God's grace, if you're going to experience Him giving you, you have to go to that place where you're out of you and you're no longer self-reliant and you no longer got it figured out and you feel uncomfortable and goofy and you might fail. And in those failures and in that discomfort and in all of that, you know what you find? God's grace. You find Him. And you go, oh my gosh. It's true. You do give me everything I need. Oftentimes we come to the precipice and we back off. We come and we back off. My encouragement to you, if He brings you to a place of obedience in your walk, take the step based on His truth, His character, and rest in His gracious provision. I'm going to sing a song about a good, good father. And in this song, it talks about who I am. My prayer for you is that this song reinforces everything you've heard today through His Scripture. And you'll leave here. And when you and I are challenged, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. Amen? Let's stand together and sing this song.